Alright, well one final good morning to all of our guests and those who call New Hope their home. I would normally take this time to make sure that everybody understands how grateful we are, but I want to interrupt that this Sunday uh, for those who are watching live now and those who will be watching later this week. I want to open this morning <clears throat> with a little bit heavier of a conviction, if you will. I want to share with you my personal, probably my greatest fear yet inspiration all at the same time of why I do what I do for a living full-time vocationally, um, but honestly why I began to do the things that I was doing before I ever became a pastor. It is my, you know what, before I do that, I want to tell you, in between services, uh, not in this service, but the 8 and the 9 o'clock, I was in the room beside, uh, between these two rooms, which right on the other side of this wall, in case you didn't know, is our, our children's center, and I, I heard Pastor Lydia through the microphone, because I can hear speakers on each side in this middle room, I heard Pastor Lydia say, okay. Everybody's going to listen really closely, right? And then some of them said, yeah. But then I heard like two or three say, no. <laughs> I just found it interesting that they were so transparent and honest. I need you to hear this statement. It is my personal conviction above all else. This is why I believe I'm here, not in Eunice, but on this earth. I have a heartfelt conviction, even a fear, to convince people to truly live for Jesus. Not to just come to church, not to just learn how to give, not to connect to a small group, next steps, sign up for SUM if you believe you have a call of God on your life. All of those things are byproducts, but my personal conviction, my heartfelt desire, even having been born essentially, I was in church before I even knew where I was. Come on, we've got some babies in this house this morning, like they hear and they have no idea where they are, how significant it is. That was me. I grew up in this thing, and yet it was only in my early 20s that I ever actually developed what I hope you have, but I don't think everybody does. A heartfelt conviction to actually live your life for Jesus. Not just receive His salvation, but remain in Him and bear the fruit of a life that is actually living for Him. I see a lot of me in Jacob and in his story. Even though I was the oldest um, and I could totally whip my little brothers, unlike Jacob, uh, I still see a lot of that desire to get ahead, that ambition to outdo, if you will. And I don't know that that's necessarily evil until you allow it to be. We've been walking through the last few weeks in this series we decided to call Climb. And the first week, I spent about 35 minutes convincing you that you were created to climb. You weren't created to fall. You may have been born into fallenness in a fallen world, but you weren't created to fall. You were created to climb. 
You were created to walk with God in the cool of the afternoon, just like Adam and the woman in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. You were created and hidden His image and likeness for His glory. That's why God created you. Not to watch other people win, not to watch other people be victorious, but to climb. And the second week, the initiative was to convince you, not just that you were created to climb, but that you would actually connect to Jesus. That Jesus was the ladder that Jacob saw in Genesis 28. That Jesus in the New Testament was the ladder that Jacob saw in the Old Testament that gives us access to the kingdom of God. And if you will connect to the ladder, which is Christ, and keep on climbing, then you will truly become who he created you to be. But last week, as Pastor Dylan likes to say, we took a hard left turn. See, Jacob said in that moment when he had that dream, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. For this is the house of God and the gateway to heaven. And I asked the question last week, and if you didn't get to listen to this message, I would encourage you to go back and give it a listen at your convenience. But what do we do when the gateway to heaven feels more like a road through hell? And I don't have time to re-preach that message, but we know that Jacob spent 20 years under the authority of someone who was worshiping the devil. His uncle Laban actually said, through my divination." through my devil worship, through my obedience to the enemy and not to God, I've actually seen the Lord bless me because of you. Jacob worked seven years for a daughter that he didn't receive. His uncle Laban gave him the ugly one first so that he would work harder for the prettier one. It's what the Bible says, don't get mad at me. It's just the scripture. He worked seven more years for the prettier one that he actually wanted. It was the not-so-easy-on-the-eyes one that began to produce him heirs. And the one that he actually wanted was barren for most of their relationship. They finally gave birth to the 11th son just for Jacob to work for his uncle for six more years. The Bible says ten times, ten times his uncle changed his wages. Finally, after 20 years, remember, he had had a dream of a ladder which led to the presence of God. He said, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. This is the house of God and the gateway to heaven. He had to have thought he was about to walk through the gateway and end to all that heaven had available to him. But instead, he spent the next 20 years on what felt like a road through hell. And he ran. He ran away from his uncle. His uncle gave him a three-day head start. But how many of you understand? You take two women and a bunch of kids on a three-day journey, somebody else comes after you, you're going to get caught. That's just the way it is. We can turn a two-and-a-half-hour trip into half a day plus restroom breaks. Like, we ain't even stopped to go to the bathroom. I'm driving slower because I have two women, three women for me, and one little boy that just, it just tends to cause me to not get to my destination as quickly. This is what Jacob was going through. He was running from his uncle, and he was about to have to face his brother. See, when Jacob left, he had stolen Esau's blessing. Some scholars say he tricked Esau, but the Bible says he stole from Esau. Hear me. 
when you steal and trick on your way to what you wanted, you'll never find security in it. Because when you steal, there is no security no matter where you arrive. But if you will let God position you, if you will let God promote you, then you won't feel like it was you that earned that spot, but you will know that it was what he purchased on your behalf that promoted you into that position. So when you get into that position, you won't feel like you had to fight for it because you've already stood in the one that fought for you. It's a difference in a mentality of a dog-eat-dog world or a disciple being delivered out of darkness into light and walking in the anointing of which God created them to walk in. But Jacob didn't understand that because up to that point, he had stolen in order to receive his position. So he had to fight for it. Jacob was running from his uncle, but he had to run back to his brother. Here's the essence of this piece of the story is that you can run away from a lot of things, but you can never get away from yourself. It's not your current situation that's the issue. It's not the people in your situation. You could move across country, and you are going to meet the same people in different form, and you will still have to deal with you and how you feel about those people no matter where you move. See, you think Eunice is the problem. I done come here to preach this morning. You think this surrounding area, you think Eunice has, you think it's the police department. Oh, I done gone there. You think it's the people on bicycles with backpacks. It ain't the situation and the surroundings that's the issue. It's the saints of God not living according to the standard of God that would call people out of darkness and into the light that they claim that they walk in. That's the problem. Jacob had to face, Jacob had to face his issue and he's headed back to do it so Jacob has this brilliant idea he says you know what I'm just going to divide my family in two this one is not so great looking but she had a lot of sons this one is really pretty and she only has one boy I'm going to sacrifice half of my family to make sure that I end up with at least half of my family I'm going to Divide these two, and whichever one Esau attacks, I'll just go with the other one. Because Jacob, hang on before you judge Jacob this morning, Jacob was just doing what a lot of us do. It's called self-preservation. We will do whatever it takes to protect ourselves. We pick up in Genesis chapter 32. He's divided his family and flock in half. He's about to have to face his unfaithfulness to his brother. And the Bible says in chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, in verse 22, that night Jacob got up, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. He hadn't had Benjamin yet, so he has 11 sons at this point. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok. What is the Jabbok? Well, he had sent them across the stream. The Jabbok was just a stream that he sent his bride and babies, brides and babies, which is also uh, highly not recommended according to Scripture, just for the record. Just because, hear me, just because something is permissible doesn't mean that it's beneficial, okay? And you see a lot of that, so don't justify anything just because you read it in the Old Testament. Be careful of that. He crossed 
the stream. He sent over all his possessions, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Once you see this picture, Jacob takes all of his family, all of his possessions, he divides them in two, and he sends them over this stream. And then he stays back. He sends them ahead to face his problems for him. And he hangs back because he would rather be left alone than be led through anything that he didn't want to face on his own. But God, you ever been in that place where you just really wanted to be left alone? Can we just be honest this morning? For everybody not raising your hand, you liar. You're in church this morning. You need to just be honest. There are times when I just want to be left alone. But then in those times, it just seems like those are not the moments when God and or the people he has put in my life are willing to leave me alone. I wanted to be left alone, but God wasn't willing to leave me alone. He had something stirring in Jacob. He had something to say. Jacob wanted to continue to just isolate himself, but the Spirit of God wanted to infiltrate. God will not allow us to isolate when he has called us to be filled and actually infiltrate. It was a moment that God refused to give Jacob what he wanted. And the Bible says he wrestled with God all night long. Now, ladies, some of you are going to have a hard time understanding this. Some of you get it because you're an exception to the stereotype, which is cool. I like that. I think that's funny. Like, I'm teaching Emery. Emery's a feisty little thing. Like, you guys look at Megan, and she's five foot two and pounds, and she's just right there. Um, but, but there have been times where I wish that I wouldn't have tried to pin her down because she won that. There's just there's some feistiness in those little beings. But some of you have never wrestled with a whole lot of anything. In fact, you're more of the, just, just let me be, I'll just sit over here by myself. Guys are not predominantly that way. And I'm not saying that there's not an exception to every stereotype, but guys are not predominantly. There's something about us that feels like we need to prove our position. I've got a five-year-old little boy He's about as pretty as they can be. He can be minding his business. Y'all, he can be on his iPad listening to praise music with both hands in the air. Just in the presence of God. Leaned up against his mama. And if I walk over and smack him on the leg, within three seconds, he's in ready stance. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just something inside of him that he will jump into fight position instantaneously he's ready to prove his position i know i used to almost choke myself out trying to choke out one of my friends i mean if he put his shoulder uh, his hand on my shoulder or his arm around me man we were ready to go and if you've ever tried to hold that position for more than three or four maybe five minutes you will know it is exhausting to try to wrestle continually and maintain your position, proving yourself. You would think I would grow out of that. But I'm 35 years old, and just two weeks ago, 
I was in Sask just north of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, with three guys that I had never met before. One of them I had only known for two days. And it was at 5 o'clock in the morning in the kitchen during breakfast. Like I hadn't even had as much coffee as I've had at this point today. He put his arm on my shoulder. I put my arm on his. He lifted the other arm and grabbed my elbow. I grabbed his elbow. Within 30 seconds, two 30-year-old men were in the middle of the kitchen proving their position and trying to gain ground. And I've learned to flare out my legs, you know, because this is one of the things you teach in wrestling. You, you throw your legs out and back so they can't shoot you and grab you, you know. So I've got my legs sprawled, and I'm trying to hold him, and he's trying to hold me, and we're wrestling. We're wrestling for position, and this is what Jacob was doing with God. He was wrestling for position. Watch this, verse 25. When the man saw that he could not overpower him. Now, you interpret this how you want to. My interpretation is when the man saw that he would not give up. When the person wrestling with Jacob saw that Jacob was unwilling to give up. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I can just see the father-son wrestling match right here. You know the difference between me and Gabriel? He will never beat me. You know why? Because I will hurt him. He won't hurt me. I'm his daddy. He loves me. He won't hurt me. I will hurt him. I know just how far to go to make sure that he knows, boy, this is my house. This is my position. My dad would have done the same thing to me. I wouldn't have hurt my daddy, but he would have hurt me. It's just the difference. And I believe I can see the father-son wrestling relationship right here where the Bible says he could not overpower him. What he really saw was Jacob was not going to relent. So he said, you know what? I've got to do something different. And he touched his hip. And the socket of his hip came out of place. It was wrenched. The man said, let me go. Let me go, boy, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Even in the midst of wrestling, Jacob is still really just all about himself. Jacob's not about the presence of God in this moment. He's not thinking of his family. He's just thinking of himself. I won't let you go until you bless me. He's not after the presence of God. He's after the promise of God. He wants the promise without the presence. So he has to wrestle for it. I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed. Some people pronounce it Peniel. And he was limping because of his hip. Verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, a lot of people, a lot of scholars, a lot of preachers have taught a lot of lessons on this passage. And sometimes in this story, we are tempted to read between the lines and try to develop 
personal interpretations that may or may not be there. But today, I want to encourage you, actually, as you read Scripture, unless the Holy Spirit leads you to do otherwise, there is plenty within the lines without you having to try to start interpreting outside of the lines. We don't know why Jacob wrestled. We don't know why God came down. We don't know why to a lot of things. But there are three things in this passage that we are biblically certain of. Number one, Jacob wrestled with God. He wrestled with him. There is no doubt. It wasn't an angel. It wasn't another person in godly form. Jacob wrestled with Elohim. Jacob wrestled with God. The second thing that we have as a biblical fact is that Jacob prevailed. He would not give up. And by morning, the Bible says that Jacob prevailed in his wrestling. The final thing that we know for a fact, Jacob wrestled with God. He prevailed by morning. But this is the one where we would struggle in our Western civilization of perspective when it comes to Christianity. Jacob was wounded in that wrestling match, and his wound came from God. God Almighty wounded Jacob in a wrestling match. Now, I find this interesting. You see several years later that the disciples probably recognized that Jesus was the latter. I have to wonder that if they knew that Jesus was the latter that Jacob saw, I wonder if they knew that Jesus was the wrestler that touched his hip. I can't help but think that that may be the reason why Jesus was able to sleep for so long in the bow of the boat in the midst of the storm. I can just see his disciples bargaining against one another as to who was going to have to wake up the wrestler. Who was going to have to awaken Jesus? Was he going to that we could climb on and believe for the storm to pass? Or was he going to be the wrestler that would wound our hip? Maybe they were afraid that Jesus would climb up on the front of the boat, grab them by the neck, and come back over the top rope before they got out of the storm. I don't know why they waited so long to wake him up, but I could almost guarantee you that those Jewish men understood that Jesus was more than just a messianic healer, that they remembered that he had wrestled with Jacob and they couldn't eat from a specific place because of the wound that that wrestler left. Jacob was wounded by God. The thing that I believe we can be assured of is that God can always bring purpose to any pain. If we'll give him a chance, if we give him the opportunity, if we don't lose faith, if we'll look for reason, everything, hear me, listen, this is, this is a bad interpretation of a really good word. Everything does not happen for a reason. Do you hear me? I need the people of this church to understand that that is a lie from the pit of hell. 
Everything does not happen for a reason. We are in a fallen world around fallen people, and there are some things that happen in this life that God is not in, and he's not even for. Everything does not happen for a reason, but God can bring reason to anything that happens. He does not promise that you will not go through pain, but I can promise you that he can bring purpose to it. He does not promise that you will not go through pain, but I can promise you in Jesus' name that he can take your pain and position you into a platform for other people that you would not have had had you not gone through the pain because God brings reason to everything that happens. A lot of people make the mistake of confusing the ability to overcome with the ability to get over. The ability to overcome is not the same as the ability to get over. There are some things, I'm about to set some of you free this morning. There are some things that will happen to some of you in this life that you will never get over. You'll stand over. You'll walk over. But you will carry with you for the rest of your days. You, in the name of Jesus, may never get over it, but by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you can overcome. You can stand on top of the thing that used to cause you to stumble and dance in the presence of the King all the way back to the gate of heaven that you were created to walk in. You may never get over some things. These wounds could actually be an act of grace. See, a lot of us think that God is ignoring us when it is actually God using our tribulation to get our attention. Some of us think that God is not listening when it is actually God that is leading the way. If you're taking notes this morning, I believe that God shows his love through his discipline. A revelation of God's love. See, we need to stop trivializing the test of this life. We need to stop trying to explain away the things that happen in our lives the things that we struggle with, the things that we go through. We need to stop telling people that if you'll just say yes to Jesus, then everything else will work itself out perfectly in this life. If you'll just say yes to God, everything else will be easy because people are coming to God based on false promises by other preachers. God says in this life there will be tribulation. You will face persecution. And sometimes we just need to be reminded that life stinks. It's tough. We weren't created for this life. And sometimes we are given more than we can handle. We're never tempted beyond what we are able. But it is often if you are a child of God, that you will be given more than you are able to handle on your own because it is in the midst of realizing that what you have is not enough to get you through, that you will lean on God in a way that you would have never learned how to lean if he would not have put that in your path. Life is tough. 
but God is strong. Life is tough, but God is able. Life is tough, but God will walk you through to the other side. I heard this message preached when 2014. It wasn't even preached. It was taught in my graduate class as I was pursuing my master's in Christian leadership. Dr. Bruce Coates was teaching this lesson and teaching this message. And he was explaining how God had wounded Jacob. And I was so confused because that went against the grain of what Western Christianity had taught me. That went against the grain of my perceived perspective of a divine heavenly father that would never leave me nor forsake me. Again, he won't leave you. He won't forsake you. But that doesn't mean that you may not have to follow him through hell on the way to what he has for you. And the essence of your Christianity is not that he has never taken you through something. It's that he has walked you through everything and never left you there. The promise of God is that we can see the love of God even in his discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. I love this. The author of Hebrews, most people believe it to be Paul, says, Have you forgotten the encouraging words? <laughs> Have you forgotten? You're going to see why I'm laughing. Hang, on, hang in here with me. Have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children when he said, My child, do not take light the Lord's discipline and do not give up when he corrects you. I have noticed in my short tenure as a young pastor that most people love being compelled in the Spirit of God. Most people love to listen about the compassion of the heart of God. Most people will even take the motivation and inspiration of the gospel, but very few people like the correction of God. Pastor Don Norton said in a breakout session earlier this week, he was giving us some leadership strategies and the difference between being led by men and being led by God. And he said, you know, I've had a mentor. I want you to mentor me. And he will ask, do you know what it means for me to be your mentor? And they would say, you know, I think I do. And he would say, well, let me explain what it means for me to be your mentor. When you're asking me to be your mentor, that means that you are telling me I can say whatever, whenever, however I deem necessary, and you can't get offended. Pastor Don said, I have mentored very few people over the span of my ministry because most people are only willing to hear what they actually wanted to hear. But God says, take encouragement in these words. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves. The Proverbs says that he who spares the rod, and often this passage has been 
interpreted spoils the child, but the Bible actually says, he who spares the rod hates his child. He who, you ever been around that kid? <laughs> Just needed a good old rod. Come on, somebody. We live in Cajun country. I'd never make it in North America, northern North America. Like we down here for a reason. But it, I've been around some of those kids that I thought, look, if you'll just give me the rod, I'll do it for you. Like, I'm going to bless you and the rest of your day. I'm about to help you out. It's a struggle internally. I told first service, like my wife had, uh, or second service, I said, my wife had three kids in four years. That wasn't because we love kids, because I love my wife. Come on, somebody. That's what happened there. It, I didn't try to have a lot of kids because I, I just love children. Okay, I love my children. I love your children. Just don't like most. Most of them. I'm just being, being completely transparent. Most I actually do love kids as long as I get to hug them and send them out with you. It's a beautiful thing. I'm very good at it. I do love children. But the Bible says if you spare the rod, you don't spoil, you hate. Now listen, God is not into hating his children. He's not into spoiling his children. But the reason that most people can't stand to be around a lot of Christians. Come on. Is because they're not really children being corrected. They're children being spoiled. Because they're not receiving correction. They're not willing to receive discipline. Much less put it into practice. But as you, the Lord disciplines those he loves. And then what he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Now, hear me. Listen to me. The saints of God shall not see the wrath of God. That's a biblical promise. But it doesn't mean that the punk child of God shall not be punished by the hand of God. <laughs> that the arrogant child of God, that the hypocritical child of God, come on, that the spoiled child of God shall not experience the punishing hand of the Father. There's a difference between God's wrath and God's punishment, and you can't confuse those two things. The saints of God shall not see the wrath of God, but the children of God will experience the punishment of God. It's part of the process. But as you endure, verse 7 says, this divine discipline, hear me, if you have discipleship without discipline, you don't have a true disciple. Let me say that again because I'm messing some of y'all up this morning. Because y'all read the blessed life now and you thought this thing was all about you. I'm just, I read it too and it feels good. And I do believe in the blessing of the Lord. Following the obedience of the child. I get that. But there are still times where God's got to prune away. And if you take discipline out of discipleship, you do not have a disciple. When you add discipline into discipleship, now it's still God doing the work and you surrendering to his all. And it's him that paid the price and it's to him that receives the glory. It doesn't make you arrogant. It makes you humble that he would even take the time to spend his handiwork on you. As you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? You might have heard of one, but you don't want to be around them. Who ever heard of a child that's never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that my Lord Jesus 
you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. God shows his love through his discipline. God wounds people so that they will walk differently for the rest of their earthly and possibly even heavenly existence. Discipline is a necessary part of the journey of becoming like Jesus. You cannot become like Jesus without the discipline of the Father. We should be disciplined to the point where we are willing and able to say, Lord, whatever you have, wherever you lead, whatever you say, I will do. And until we get to that place, the Father will continue to help us get there. Number two, our wound is his evidence. Our wound is his evidence. Dr. Bruce Coates lost one of his sisters. It was, he had twin sisters. He said the most promising, the one that was voted in high school to be the most successful, the smartest of all the siblings, even the better looking of the two sisters, the Rachel of the bunch. Come on, somebody. It's okay. We're all gifted in areas. Some of us are more gifted than others, and some of us aren't. And Dr. Coates recognized that his sister was prettier than him. I've not arrived in that anointing. I've not made it to that place yet, but God's working it out in me. His sister contract, contracted a, a rare cancerous brain tumor. And he watched her fight for her life until the Lord finally brought her home. And Dr. Coates made this statement in my graduate class. He said, I will always bear the wound of my sister in my heart. I will always bear the wound of my sister in my heart. But I am bearing the wound of God's grace. Because the Bible never promised me that I would not go through something, but he promised me often that he would walk with me through anything. The wounds of God are the evidence of the grace of God. Think about Thomas with me quickly this morning. Thomas said, I will not believe unless I put my hand in his wound. It has always actually confounded me how Jesus could be crucified, spend three days as Jonah did the belly of the whale in the core of the earth, be raised from the dead and resurrected three days later and yet still have his wounds from the crucifixion. It has confounded me how Jesus could be so transformed by the power of the resurrection in his glorified body that he would walk with people on the road to Aramaeus that did not recognize him even though they had spent the three previous years with him. It has confounded me how we understand and believe that there was a baby born in a manger from a virgin, but there is a conquering king coming back on a white horse, and his robe is drenched in blood, and on his robe and on his thigh as he comes from heaven on his white horse, it is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and yet his wounds remain. 
Thomas, eight days later, said, I will not believe unless, you, unless I put my hand in the wound. And Jesus said, Thomas, take your hand and insert it in the side of the, where the spear went through. And it was the wound of Jesus that was the evidence of his resurrection. It was the wound of God that was the proof that he was God. It could be the wound of your pain and your sorrow and your past that you don't ever get over but you carry in this journey. And though you're strapped to this thing for the rest of your existence, you allow the grace of God to use it as the evidence of his resurrecting power. And the wound of God causes you to walk differently through this life. You may limp through the rest of this life, but you will limp into the kingdom of God. And you and everybody that watched you walk that way will follow you into that place because anybody can live for Jesus in favor and blessing but a child of God is willing to walk through the chastisement the discipline, the correction the rebuke and hell fire itself as long as we're walking with Jesus all along the way. That's the difference in a true disciple. My heartfelt conviction that people would actually live for Jesus don't tell me what you believe. Don't tell me what your preacher or your priest said last Sunday. I don't care. Show it. The discipline of the disciple being evident in the walk of the wounded. That's the difference. It's my fear that I carry in this life. It's part of knowing Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, I have this desire to know him and the power of his resurrection. And I've heard a lot of preachers get real holy when they read this verse. The power of God to bring you out of darkness. The power of God to break your addiction. The power of God to bring beauty from your bondage and your broken. The power of God to bring sacrifice and surrender out of your shame and your suffering. But the problem is, normally they stop right there. But the Bible says that in order to know the power of his resurrection, you must also share in his sufferings. See, if it doesn't leave a mark, you may forget it. For example, sweet little Gabriel man, I can preach about him because he doesn't care. He thinks it's funny. His sisters, not so much. But little Gabriel. Gabriel made the mistake that his father had made at one point in his life as well. He looked up at his mother after she whipped him and he said, that didn't hurt. I got my cell phone because I knew that I wanted to record what was going to happen next. And she kind of looked at me and I said, don't look at me, you get him. He believes me. He'd have never said something that stupid to me. He knows better. He's not going to say dumb junk like that to me. He knows, like, I, when I whip, I leave a mark. And if I popped him and I didn't leave a mark, it wasn't an accident. That was an act of grace. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but he looked at his mama and said, that didn't hurt. By the time she got done with him, he was like the donkey on Shrek. I believe, I believe. 
believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm saying this man, he, it registered with him. He, he received the correction. And she made him a believer. Come on, somebody. It was part of the process. It left a mark by which he would remember. I've never seen a TV evangelist stand on the stage and say, Today is your day of breakthrough. If you will send me a $1,000 seed right now. Come on, the lines are open over here. We got people ready to help you sow your seed this morning. If you will phone in and sow your $1,000 seed, the correction of God is coming to your heart right now. I just believe it. Come on, sow your seed today. Whatsoever a man shall sow, he shall therefore also reap. If you will phone in and sow your seed, the punishment of God is coming to your household, son and daughter. Come on, sow your seed. I can't hear the phones ringing. Nobody must want their seed to be sown this morning. Nobody's ever, nobody talks about that. And yet Paul says that is the designated difference in an actual child of God who could know him and the power of his resurrection versus someone who only agrees with it and stands on the fringe and watches everybody else actually engage in what God created them to be, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, Paul said. In other words, whatever it takes, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Watch this video. We'll get out of here today. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, but I want to. So I go to God and I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, would you do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son? Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Oh, who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. <laughs> You're not God. No, I am. Okay, uh, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. You are God. What, what's that about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. This is the process. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Let's get busy. Okay. I'm going to bring up things in your life that don't belong in your life. And uh, start right here. Your anger. Ow! I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrongest of ways. You compare yourself to others instead of me, and you lie. You tell little white lies. You're so afraid of confrontation. You're becoming a people pleaser. Okay, time out. Um, I think you've done some really good work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. When you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son. Okay, but when I look like Jesus, people get uncomfortable and I don't think I'm supposed to do that. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. No, what I'm saying is you've grown me to here. Maybe we take a break from each other for a while, all right? And then I'll stay here and then you come back and we can grow some more. You never just take a break from me. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but you never just plateau. What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, chisel. No, 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 chisel. All right, here we go. Can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Okay, sorry. Mm. This right here, that secret sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurting, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. Do you want to keep rearranging this in your life, or do you want me to chisel it out? Chisel. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's your whole life. 
this, this hurts, okay? I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you are doing in your life that are insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. I know, but I've let you down so many times, God. No, you were never holding me up. Okay, then chisel away. It's the conviction of my heart purpose of my life to convince people to actually live for Jesus I believe that where I am is exactly where God wants me to be because he is still in the process of making me his masterpiece can I Share my conviction and prophetically speak it over you. I believe that where you are is right where you're supposed to be. Because God is currently in the process of making you His masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works that were determined before creation itself. God loves you if you are his child and the bible says he has given the right for all of those who believe have been given the right to become a child of god hey listen if you're not his then you're not his i'm not the guy that believes everybody that's born is a child of god i believe that that's a choice and the choice is control or chisel. The choice is God's way or my way. The choice is follow Jesus or continue on. But the difference in the child is that God loves and God disciplines. Please don't fall for the lie that just because you said yes to God, everything is going to be easy from here on out. Because it won't be. Jesus said there will be persecution in this life. But fear not. Because greater is he that is in me than anything in this world that can come against me. We are his masterpiece. Control or chisel. Which one do we choose? Father, right now, I pray that you would help us in this moment to examine where we are in our walk with you. Maybe our wounds are from other people. Our wounds are from our past. Our wounds are from the enemy and the powers of principalities of darkness. Whatever it is, I still believe that God works all things to the good. That if we will look for reason and lean into you, then I speak prophetically the word that was given this morning 
Isaiah 61 takes ashes and turns them to beauty. God, Isaiah 61 takes shame and and turns it into surrender, makes the difference. That many of you are wondering whether God is even listening, and He's not just listening, He is there. In fact, for some of us, He's even leading the way. The prophecy is if you will lean into Him, He will embrace you, and He'll lead you through. For the followers of Jesus in this room, for the believers today, what area of your life have you not relinquished control? Is it one of the things mentioned in this video or is it something else? Is it your attitude, your arrogance, your availability, your obedience? What is it? What area of my life have I not fully surrendered to Jesus? Where did I stop God from pruning and chiseling away to make me more like His Son? Not just a better version of myself, but a transformed version of Jesus in this day. For everyone else, there are some of you in this room, you fit into the fear of my heart because you're not living for Jesus. You've never received salvation. Or you have, but you've drifted away. And your life is no more like a believer's life than an atheist. I want to challenge you this morning to receive God's forgiveness. I want to challenge you this morning to get on board, to climb on the ladder, to look to Him and never look back again. If you need to receive salvation today for the first time or the first time in a long time, nobody looking around, we're just going to pray for you. If you know that the Holy Spirit is talking to you and you need to be included in that prayer, I want you to lift your hand right where you sit and say, hey, that's me, that's me, that's me. Thank you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Anybody else, I see you, I see you. Praise God. This message was for you. I see you, I see you. God sees you. To all who believe, He has given the right to be called children of God. Today is your day. To get on board or to get back on board and never look back again. Church, I want to ask you to partner with me as we pray together. If you raised your hand, we believe that God is not just listening, He is here and He is available to you right now. Let's pray this prayer out loud. If you raised your hand, even if you didn't, this is an opportunity for all of us to receive and renew our covenant to Jesus Christ. Come on, let's pray this together. Jesus, forgive me for doing it my way, for doubting, for disbelief, even disobedience. Cleanse me. Save me. I believe you gave your life so I could live. Help me to walk with you even if I'm wounded. Take my life. Make it yours. I surrender. I believe. I will follow you with all of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.